Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 159 of the Pisga Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Mangler, and that is Drew, and you are listening to Pisga. We're coming to you live from the future roundabout in Pisga Forest. That we are. So, Mangler, let's jump into these news and updates. We've got some things here before we get into the main interview for this uh, episode. Yes, that's right. And we have had another wet weekend pass us by, which was full of gravel events. Yep. Like we mentioned, the Dirt Diggler and the Monster Cross happened this past weekend. And yes, it was a wet one, at least at the beginning of it. I would much rather them put on wet gravel races in the rain than mountain bike races in the rain. But as much as we are mountain bikers, gravel bike season is upon us. And there are definitely things I look forward to with my non-trail bike bike. Most importantly, just doing some weird bike rides in and out of the woods. But Drew, summer has cooled off and it's if it's not races, it's cool bike events. So what have we got coming up? Bunch of bike events coming up. So Pisgah area Sorba will be doing Take a Kid Mountain Biking Day at Richmond Hill Park on October 1st. Also, October 1st is the Harvest Jam at the Riveter. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so this coming weekend at Killington Mountain up in Vermont, that's not Pisgah. It's nope. still on the East Coast, though, so I'm going to talk about this. And you know we love downhill. It's the return of the U.S. Open of downhill. And this event has an open category with a prize purse of $15,000 for first place. And that's for men's and women's. That is sick. Super sick. And they have some awesome other categories, which are the next generation which is for the up-and-comers and our juniors that aren't quite ready to step up to the plate for the for the open category but still want to share the podium with some uh, professionals. And then there's the adaptive downhill category, which I have to think is a growing sport. And you can see more info on this event at usopen.bike. Dude, that is actually really sick. Uh, I was up in the Northeast a couple of weeks ago and did a Killington Day and saw the the course being built out. And I do know that they were working on some alt lines for some of the adaptive riders. And it, it's really awesome to see, you know, like Canuga uh, just had the, the summer in jam and had some adaptive races. And it's cool to see more of that being opened up to more riders. Cause you know, if I was in that position, I would also be looking for whatever way I could still keep active in any sort of bike riding for sure and you know as well as me that not all trails are really capable of using an adaptive machine on and there's all different types for all different types of uh, disabilities and injuries but you know for the general purpose uh adaptive downhill athlete having a purpose-built trail is a really super awesome thing and and you got to really feel like uh you know, some attention went into that. So I'm, I'm psyched for the racers and I'm also proud of the promoters for making this happen. Well, uh, September 24th is DuPont Forest Festival and you can find more info on that event at dupontforest.com. There's a whole slew of cool activities that are common to be done in DuPont. They've uh, got some cool stuff like they're doing some cool history tours, which I kind of wish that I was going to be there for that because there's some cool zones in DuPont that I would like to know more about. Uh, they'll have some fly fishing intros, some beginner rides, and just much, much more. 
So it is worth checking out and it will be held over on the Guyon Farm parking area side of DuPont. So also keep that in mind if you're looking to do a DuPont ride on that day, that probably that side of the forest will be busy, but just expect DuPont to be busy in general on that day. Right on. On that same day, September 24th, is the I-9 PA release at Rabbit Rabbit from 5 to 9. This is an Industry 9 event that uh, they do with Asheville Brewing every year to brew a beer to raise some money. And uh, uh, it goes to biking infrastructure, uh, different ones, different years. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff going on there. DJ Jut Rutt will be spinning. A silent disco in Pisgah area, Sorba's big reveal of their raffle bike will be some of the main events of the evening. Right on. And in case you were wondering, it is also college football season. We're obviously not big sports ball fans, but we definitely have to give a huge shout out to App State for beating Texas A&M this past weekend. Heck yeah. You know, we might not be big sports ball fans, but I think you and I both have a bunch of friends that have uh, graduated from App State. Yep. So we got some ties there, you know, and App State's been known to provide some surprise whoop-ups on some big teams and clinch some big national titles. You know, they're they're good for this about once a decade. Oh, absolutely. And true that they have. And just a heads up, if you plan to go visit Boone this weekend for maybe like a Rocky Knob trip or something, ESPN's College Game Day will be broadcasting their show live from App State campus, which is kind of a big deal in college football. Uh, so don't expect it to be a nice and quiet weekend in downtown Boone around campus. This is what happens when some mountain hippies walk into Texas and win by three points. Ooh, yeah. Well, guys, so we've had Pisgah area Sorba representation on the show in the past. We want to dive a little deeper into kind of the how it's made approach to give you a little bit more on the how and why. So without further ado, here's a little sit down I had with Craig and Natalie from Pisgah area Sorba. Cool. So thank you guys for making the trek down uh, the deadly I-26 to come down here to Pisgah Forest. Welcome. Happy to have you. First off, let's get some introductions. Craig, you've uh, kind of been around for a minute, so let's hear from you. Yeah, I'm uh, Craig Ruland, trail crew leader, volunteer trail crew leader with uh, Pisgah Sorba. Um, I served as vice president for a year, and then I've been the president of Pisgah Sorba for the last couple of years. And kind of what's your background in mountain biking? Man, I've been riding for probably close to 20 years I originally grew up in Minnesota, so I lived in Minnesota and, and the Dakotas for about uh, 40 years and then lived out in Arizona for a while also. But yeah, I, I guess I'd consider myself more of a kind of a more of a cross-country type rider. Those are two very different zones to kind of ride in, like the Minnesota stuff can be a little more chill than you get out to the Arizona stuff. It's definitely more techy and hard. Yeah, it's way rockier. Like we live down there. We lived, I used to ride South Mountain quite a bit in the McDowell Mountain Park. Which is cool because you've got different zones. You can do like the easy cross-country stuff at the bottom or you can get spicy going up national. And yeah, like Desert going. Classic or yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was completely different. You know, when I went out to Arizona, just, you know, the vertical, the exposure, just the time of the day you ride, it just gave me a lot of different perspective. But yeah, I mean, certainly the Phoenix area has a lot more riding than I think people realize. Oh, absolutely. And it's, and it's fairly close. Like, you can get around and access it pretty easily. So, Were you active in a trail club out there in Arizona at all? I was not. I actually did probably about 20 years ago. I actually went through, like, the Imba Trail. It was kind of like 
at that time, they'd have a few like literally Subaru Outbacks who'd go around and train. Oh, like I remember clubs. that. This was like early 2012, 2013 zone, something like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I did the initial trail training. And then I did a lot of work um, previously when I lived in North Dakota, actually with a local club. Like we did a lot of like, you know, trail maintenance, mowing, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. Cool. Well, awesome. We're definitely psyched to have you in the area, up and draft as Gary Sorbonne, doing some awesome projects. Definitely applaud some of the help and work you helped do on the Black Mountain Trail. Definitely saw you up there a bunch, doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was, um, I think both, like, I served as, like, the project manager for Black Mountain Mm -hmm. internally. So a lot of the contract work, a lot of communication with the Forest Service. Uh, You know, once we had the builder there, you know, of course, single track trails with Shrimper um, did all that work. And just, yeah, like, all the you know, the billing, like out in the field, checking the distances and just kind of making sure the Forest Service, that all the trail designs kind of met the specs of what we had proposed. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of work on that project. And then the Richmond Hill Bike Park also. I cool. did a lot of work on that project with the city of Asheville. Nice. So. I've still not gone up to see like the new Richmond Hill stuff yet. And I need to make that a priority. I've heard great things. So, Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's very, um, we, we kind of designed it originally as like a stepping stone project, right? Mm-hmm. So like, if it was a family or a newer rider, that they could go work on their skill set in, in a pretty safe environment that's pretty close to a trailhead with a shelter yeah. and water mm-hmm. on public land where there's a good parking lot. And if someone's skill set, they could build it up so that they could then go out to DuPont or Bent Creek or really like build the skill set so they can go out and access more trails. That was really kind of the goal of that project. Yeah, Richmond Hill is a fun spot. Derek Deluzio used to live in that neighborhood, so that was usually how I'd get in there, but uh, it's been a minute since I've been out there. Uh, let's step over here to you, Natalie. Hi. You're a, you're a new name, new voice, uh, and everything, uh, new role with Busy Area Sorba, so kind of give us a little bit of background and, and what you got going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm Natalie Narbra. I'm the new executive director of Busy Area Sorba. I came on in July, so it's been just about two months in this new role. Um which is brand new for the organization as well. So it's a really exciting time. It, I think it demonstrates the growth of the organization over the years and like all of the hard work with folks like Craig and all of the volunteers. There's just been generations. So it's a really exciting time. I got into mountain biking. I've had like an on and off relationship with mountain biking in my life. I started in high school, my dad and my two older brothers, and I would like go out and bike. And I'm from Ohio. And then I kind of like had some not great rides and some bad crashes and then I got really into rock climbing and in the last couple years mountain biking has spiked back up to my preferred activity in the woods again thanks to my dad once again so he came down to visit Asheville when I moved here and he brought his like really old GT like super heavy bike that was too big for me yeah and I took him out to Bent Creek and I was like oh my gosh I cannot believe I haven't been mountain biking as much in the last like 30 years of my life so I got I got back into it and I I rode that sucker for like a long time. Um, the old GT. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I had that thing. Yeah, it was great. It was my my training to go out um, with my now husband to British Columbia and Ooh, yeah. got my butt handed to me out there. That was some some brutal falls. Um, but I've now upgraded. I now have a Juliana. So okay, nice. Yeah. Uh, and kind of, I know you have. I've read up on some of your background. You have some higher level directing and executive style roles in some of your past jobs, but what professionally wise were you doing before you came on here? 
Yeah. So I come from education. I've been an educator the last nine years. The last two years, I've been a dean of students. So in an administrative role, in addition to classroom teaching, um, I've been teaching up in Asheville at French Broad River Academy. So that that school has a, a really particular focus on environmental stewardship, which is kind of kind of helped me formulate like what next career path I wanted. So it's intimidating to leave the field of education for sure. Like something you've been doing for nine years to oh, jump absolutely. to something different. Yeah. yeah, that was that was um it was a process to to figure out like what is the next role that would be appealing to me. So I'd spent months doing my research and I actually would I'd ask strangers out for coffee. I'd be like, hey, will you come talk to me about your job? And I would interview people basically and have them tell me what their job was like. And that would help me narrow down, this is something that I'm interested in. This is something I'm not interested in. And I kind of came up with this, these like categories of what I really wanted in my next career. Those included things like I loved being in a position of leadership. So being an administrator in the school helped me realize that. I also knew I wanted to be really connected to a community. I knew I wanted to have some type of like fulfilling position coming coming from teaching that was that's a high thing to to try to oh, yeah. try to match and being in a in a nonprofit in a role where you're just working with volunteers i mean it's been incredibly fulfilling so much gratitude in the last 2 months and then the environmental stewardship piece of it like and so when Pisgah Sorba when the job was posted it was like the most ideal timing at the end of the school year and i was like that checks all of the boxes that's exactly the type of organization that like i would be honored to to serve and yeah, it all it all worked out perfectly. And here we are. Yeah, here we are. Now yeah. I'm on Pisgah Podcast. Yeah. So right now, what you live in like the north side of Pisgah Range. What are some of your favorite spots to ride right now? I, I do. I, I currently live pretty close to Big Ivy, so I do some riding out there. But that's not easy riding. No, no. It's I I, I really love like a like a like a suffer fest <laughs> that's you can that's get that what, there yeah yeah i enjoy that um so honestly like doing the the upper upper like upper upper black and then doing the hike a bike like i, I love that stuff that's what okay. i would prefer to do when i'm down in pisgah proper but i do i do probably the majority of my riding in bent creek okay just like the easy location mm-hmm. if i'm out around town i can pop over there you pop over to hot springs much i don't know I've, I've done a lot of trail running in my day so i've run I've probably run like almost every trail in the the Pisgah area and in Hot Springs, but I need to get back out on my bike on there. Yeah. I usually look at Hot Springs as kind of one of my winter go-to spots. Yeah. You know, south facing, a little bit warmer, a little bit lower elevation, a little bit less rain. Yeah. So that's usually, because it gets hot there in the summer, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Craig, I'm going to bounce this over to you. Um, An executive director is a big role and it's definitely a financial commitment. So what was it that led you guys to decide, okay, now it's time for Pisgah Sorba to step it up and we need an executive director? You know, I'd say like the biggest thing for us is we were watching a lot of other clubs, okay, you know, within the region. I think like the Shenandoah Valley Bike Coalition, Knoxville, clubs out in Colorado, even like the Sierra Butte Trail Stewardship out in, um, you know, in Chico and Downeyville. And we were just kind of looking at like, their capability once they brought on, you know, professional staff, right? Even the last couple of years, I've been probably putting in close to, for sure, with like a core group between our trail crew leader, the two vice presidents, our treasurer, secretary, and, you know, president, we were definitely putting in 40 hours a week for sure. And this isn't like a job for you. This is like 
your volunteer time, right? <laughs> well, I, I'm saying collectively that group of people yeah. are putting in easily 40. And myself, I'd probably do easily a couple, two, three days worth of work a week mm -hmm. for probably a year and a half, two years. I mean, it's it's pretty difficult to run a project like the size of Black Mountain, just 100% with volunteers, right? Yeah, totally. And you start talking about these bike park projects and all the continued maintenance. And it was really to the point where we, you know, we have like a financial planning meeting, kind of a year end, almost like a retreat, um, usually in December. And what we try to do is we try to project out, okay, you know, can we bring on an executive director? You know, what will that cost? What is the benefit package? And we've been talking about it for a couple, two, three years, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone recognizes that a role like this specific to trails, maintenance, mountain biking, communication is definitely necessary in our area, right? I mean, it's such a huge, like the trail piece is such a big piece of people's lives, you know, in this part of the country. And we just got to a point where we thought, yeah, we need to make this happen. You know, how do we do this? Okay. And then we really committed to it. I'd say the fall of 21, like once we had Black Mountain done, that project was open. We knew we were going to be reimbursed from the state, you know, after the project's done. And then we just knew financially in the spring, summer of 22 that we could make it happen. And, and yeah, it is like anything, um, whenever you expand it, like a business or whatever it is, it, there is a financial risk to doing that. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like, in terms of the organizational kind of component and the leadership and just the day-to-day -day work that Natalie's doing, it's it's just been a tremendous breath of fresh air for the, like the entire board and the like the riding community. And Natalie, you coming into this kind of new to the organization stuff was was it like a little bit load of like surprise stress or did you kind of like roll into it pretty smoothly? You felt like I wouldn't say it was surprise stress, but it was a lot of surprise and appreciation when I mean when you get into the depths of all of the layers that are involved with mountain biking in general in West North Carolina I mean it's just it's mind-blowing so I, I don't I don't think that I realized how much went into the organization even if you are just like coming out to a volunteer day a public public volunteer day there's so much work in the background that happens that, that you don't even know about exactly yeah mm -hmm. and so I think that that was like a surprise to me of all of the just amounts of, of work and tremendous dedication that all the volunteers have provided over the years. Um, I mean, de definitely stressful. I think like joining a new, joining a new organization, taking on a new role always is going to have its like certain amount of stress. Thankfully, I, I feel as though I work well under pressure. And <laughs> so awesome. that's, that's a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's definitely the last two months in the beginning, it was a little bit of, of like, overload of information and now I'm oh, getting yeah. to the point with my my legs are under me and I have a much more a better understanding of the organizational ins and outs and the history there's such a deep history of systems and structures and generations of volunteers and ideas um, and how things have been done and some ideas of how it could be done in the future so there's a lot to kind of just just organize and streamline and a lot of like collaboration and a ton of of just future excitement. I'm sure some people may have the thought, like, an executive director for Pisgah Resort, but, like, how is that a 40-hour-a-week job? So, Craig, like, kind of, you set it up to kind of, like, how that looks. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest piece to me, the communication component alone, just between the board, all the trail crew leaders, the area coordinators for each of all the respective areas, like Bent Creek, North Mills, Brevard, Asheville, uh, Turkey Pen, 
just like the week to week uh, volunteer coordination that's happening alone could be a couple days. Yeah. And then you start adding in, I think, the fundraising component, both fundraising, grant writing, and grant management. So even once you secure a grant, being actionable and making sure that work gets done in a way that the Forest Service is, um, you know, respective of the Forest Service needs. And then just coordinate it with other like nonprofits in the area, be it like the backcountry horsemen of Pisgah, you know, the, the climbing coalition, the Pisgah Conservancy, Find Outdoors. There's a bunch of other folks that we're collaborating with also. So yeah, you can very easily put in a lot of effort. And that's where initially, like when Natalie started, we had like an orientation, like kind of document. And there's so much information in there that the other board members like, can you please not intimidate her like the first two days? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think to me, like even, you know, the social media component, right? Just even advocacy and communication, newsletters, Facebook, Instagram, and like high quality posts that you're actually trying to teach people and mm -hmm. give people like quality information. All those components take time to put together. And it's something that is drafted, it's reviewed by other people in the organization and the final product is put out, similar yep. to any you know, professional environment. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's very easy to even do all that, we'll call it administrative work without even putting like boots or tires out on the ground out on trails. We're actually like planning projects, being strategic about volunteer resource management, you know, tools, equipment, mobilization, you know, what lumber do we need for this bridge or whatever. So yeah. So Natalie, was it a bit overwhelming coming on, having this document of just like overloads of information and then also being like introduced to like all these government officials and stuff. Yeah. I honestly, I think that the, the introductions were probably what was more like brain scrambling than anything else. Um, figuring out who's who and like, yeah. like who do I really need to talk to all the time and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, and then just maintaining, like there's, there's such a history of relationships with Pisgah Yasorba and industry partners and individual volunteers that have gone off to do other, other things, but they're still a resource for us. You know, there's just, there are so many folks. I feel like I, at one point I tried to get put a number on it, and I feel like it was within three weeks I was introduced or met, like, at least 45 new faces or people. And some of it is just through email, so, yeah. you know, I might not have a, a face to put with the name. But um, but it's it's all exciting. Like, it's, yes, it can feel overwhelming if you let it, but I've really been focusing on, like, it's just excitement, and it's it kind of, like, helps me feel more motivated to to do the job. Awesome. That's good to hear. It's nice to hear that you weren't so overwhelmed that you're like, this is too much or anything. Like you're, it actually like lit a fire more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you see like the incredible work that the volunteers put in and it's, it's the most inspirational thing. You know, mm -hmm. there's just a lot of gratitude of like, I, I sometimes forget the folks that I interact with on a more day-to-day -day basis. So sometimes forget that that y'all are volunteers. Like I'm looking at Craig right now. It's just, I feel like they're my coworkers and I have to remind myself like, these are just amazing humans that are putting in their time because they care about our trails and they want our trail systems to be really incredible. So it's it's uh it's a lot of gratitude. Yeah, like when you're sending like a load of emails that like I have to remember that this is not their job. Yes. They're not getting paid to have to answer me. Exactly. They're answering because they want to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well let's let's move forward a little bit. So you've come on board and I know you're probably trying to stream on some things. And let's just take a refresher. What exactly is Pisgah Area Sorba's mission? Yeah, the mission of Pisgah Area Sorba is to preserve 
mountain biking opportunities by maintaining and improving the trails in West North Carolina and in the surrounding region. So the area goes um, in three different counties. So it's in Transylvania and Henderson and Buncombe. It'll go all the way from Brevard, and then we maintain trails all the way up to Richmond Hill, like we were talking about earlier. About 40 trails and 100 miles of trails that are that are maintained in that area. So we kind of have a three-pillar design of advocacy, education, and then the environmental stewardship piece. And I think a lot of—I was in a, a trail crew leader training course the, um, towards the beginning of when I came on, and it was, it was really cool that Tim Johnson, who was teaching the class, he talked about the three— the three components of sustainability. So if you imagine a Venn diagram with three circles, right, and there's an economic component, there's a social component, and there's an environmental component. And I feel like for Pisgah Sorba to, to, to maintain this sustainability, you have to have like pieces of all those components that are, that are working really well. So you can kind of like hit that circle right in the middle of the Venn diagram. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's, you know, financial components um, of just getting the funds so we can do the work on the trails. And like our mission is the maintain maintenance and improvement of the trail systems. But in order to do that, there's also all of this background that has to happen, like the communication and the collaboration with the community and the education of the pieces of like, this is why this, this is why Black Mountain needed to be rerouted. This is why the environmental sustainability, sustainability of a trail is so important. So there's a lot of different different bits and pieces that all come together to allow the mission to be realized. Let's step back and talk about one of the things you mentioned, which was financial. Like um, a couple episodes ago, we had pretty much a two-episode part on Love Trails, which was something really cool. I'm, I'm really psyched on it. And yeah. I asked you uh, earlier to if you could dig up some details on exactly how that program has benefited Pisgaria Sorba since its inception in April. Kind of what's that look like? Yeah, so I um if you just look at if you look at the statements it, it's like just little micro donations, right? 5 bucks here, maybe like 7 bucks here, 15 bucks here, and then you add it all up and since April we have had right around $1500 of donations just from Love Trails. So that's that's a really awesome number and imagine that in this short couple months and then extrapolate that to the next couple of years that that's going to be wonderful. And hopefully it's one of those things where us talking about it more, more people seeing it that it starts to grow more or maybe someone increases their donation amounts. Oh, totally. Like I have mine at uh, see, I think I have mine at 60 cents a mile, mm-hmm. which I feel is pretty generous. Yeah. Looking back at my statements, I hit lots of different places all the time because I kind of bounce around for work and stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. So obviously Pisgah and Friends of DuPont are going to be higher on my my hit list. Um, I'm around like 90 bucks so far since May in, in Pisgah. Yeah. Um, G5's gotten a bunch. Boonaria Cyclist has gotten a little bit. Friends of DuPont, obviously couple of spots up in New York, a spot in Pennsylvania. So it, it's cool to to have my, you know, I'm, I'm not a Strava athlete. I'm not going out there to like grab trophies or anything. I, yeah. I'm not, I basically just do it just to like keep track of my miles where I've ridden. And honestly, one of the main things I use it for is to keep a log of how many miles I put on my drivetrain. Nice, so it kind of yeah. gives me an idea of like, when I need to look at changing out a chain or, you know, when's like certain things need to be updated. Mm-hmm. But Having this financial donation spot to it, it's awesome. It's like, yeah, adds another level to, you know, being able to give back. I also think it's cool going to travel to other places and riding, and then you get to see an insight. Like I was out in Montana in the beginning of the summer, 
and did a ride and like could see the nonprofit that was associated with the tr- maintenance of those trails. So that was also it's kind of a neat little education piece, I find. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I was in the Ben Creek parking lot for one of our events a couple weekends ago um, and some of the riders, we got in a conversation about it and folks that don't know about it when you explain the concept of like this is this is what the app does this is how you link it to your strava it seems like a no-brainer right it's like oh well of course of course it makes sense to donate a couple cents like per mile to the group that maintains those trails like it's it's an easy way to track it it makes the donation process so easy you literally just click the button on your email to say yes i want to donate after my ride Mm -hmm. yeah it's a really neat concept yeah and it's like one of those things like I accidentally left my Strava on while I drove home and <laughs> I don't think I can donate $110 today or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nice that they, you have to confirm it. They're not yeah. just going to pull it out of your, yeah. uh, off your credit card. Cool. You mentioned like you log into like the, the Pisgah store, checking account and you see like, how, how, how did the donations look when they come in? Um, it comes from trail care. Okay. Um, and they, I mean, it just looks like deposits into okay. our bank account. Nice. And yeah. it's like, like when I complete a ride and it says like, you know, do you want to donate $7.10 mm-hmm. and I hit yes. Is that a single transaction? So you guys get that or does it come in lumps? Um, It comes, it comes in the smaller transactions. Okay. Um, but I also know that they, they will not actually like charge whatever card you have on file until you get to a certain amount. Yeah, right? it's usually so, $5. Right. So it's not like we're getting, you know, like, $3, $1 donations. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but but it will come in like we'll have smaller donations like five bucks, fifteen bucks. If somebody goes out and does a giant giant ride, it might be more. Or maybe if someone's adjusting the amount per mileage, we can have some some bigger donations come in. But yeah, I mean it's we call them micro donations just because in in comparison to okay. industry partners and things like that, yeah. like five bucks doesn't sound like a lot, but honestly, like if, if everyone that rides the trails on just one weekend donates five dollars, that would be magical. Oh, absolutely. Does it make it a little bit of a headache when it comes to bookkeeping stuff? All those little donations? Okay. Nah. nah. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take any money. It, yeah. and it will not be a headache. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's get into some details. Uh, you mentioned you guys look over about 40 trails and about 100 miles of trail. Mm-hmm. Kind of what does that look like for you guys? So there's a structure of kind of, kind of how the, the maintenance happens. So we have five different areas that that we maintain. So for example, if you're looking at Brevard, like Pisgah proper, um, if you're in the Pisgah Ranger District, we have an area trail coordinator. That area trail coordinator kind of reports to, for lack of a better term, the the trail crew coordinator. Mm -hmm. And the trail crew coordinator is kind of the one that oversees all five of those areas. Um, So you'll have your trail crew leaders who have been trained by Pisgah Sorba or public volunteers that come out on a volunteer day. And they are working in a specific area. The area, area trail coordinator knows about that work being done. And then the trail crew coordinator knows about, like, all of the work in all five of the organizations. Okay, cool. And then that person kind of talks to the Forest Service or they go through you and you talk to the Forest Service to coordinate? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, it's been – so Jared is the name of our trail crew coordinator. He's amazing. Brevard Local. He is the one that has the most interaction with, okay. with the Forest Service. Yeah. So okay. it, it's nice because um, – Especially with with my position, I am doing so much of the administrative like back work, right? And so I might not know about the specific project, or I might not know all of the nitty gritty details of a specific trail. So having the trail crew coordinator is a great liaison position for the Forest Service. Nice. Okay. Cool. And Craig, you've kind of been over this for a little bit, and you've 
seen some like cross communication between all the multiple groups that you listed that you guys work with. Kind of what's the responsibility level like for you guys? Like a tree falls on Squirrel Gap. How is how is that mitigated? Yeah, it's normally, you know, I'd say probably one of the more, yeah, the communication usually is very clear. Like if we have a trail, we have trail adopters and we have area coordinators, as Natalie was explaining. Normally, if we're notified about a trail issue, then internally we have two different uh, Slack. Uh, we use a Slack app, one mm -hmm. for the board of directors, one for our trail crew coordinators. If the trail crew staff see anything on social media, so whatever it is, if it's an Instagram account, a Facebook page, someone sends us a direct message, then we'll notify, like in the ad example, a Sawyer, so mm -hmm. a U.S. Forest Service, you know, certified chainsaw operator. Then they'll go out and like formulate a plan to run out and get that tree. And we normally, you know, we'll communicate that internally. And then for like larger scale projects, it's really dependent upon the area coordinators and then the trail adopters. And the trail adopters are normally trail crew leaders also, and they kind of prioritize like what needs to happen in certain areas. And then that is reflected annually in kind of their budgets for certain regions. So then, you know, if whatever, if they need, you know, rock armoring or something in North Mills, then that area trail coordinator would, uh, you know, bring forth all the issues that they think need to be tackled. And then that's normally how we do it. And it hasn't, like, we don't have that, like, we're making it maybe sound more formal than it is. I mean, it's really... Sometimes uh, it's like a text message as far as... Yeah, it's just mm -hmm. a text message, a lot of things. Like, if we move equipment, if there's pretty serious work, it'll all go on the Slack channels. But I always kind of see it as, like, there's, like, three different tiers of trail work that we do in the forest. Like, I feel like the lowest tier is, like, something that a trail crew leader could take out fairly green volunteers, and they could go knock out this project or like whatever it is. or something, yeah, yep. afternoon. And then the next tier up is trail crew leaders who kind of like to and prefer to work with other trail crew leaders that they know, right? They've mm -hmm. got all the tools. They've got the expertise. They've got a gate key. They can go back, use their equipment, get something done. Like a little bit higher tier of like a, a project. Exactly. Like rock armoring, you know, pinning locust, steep corridor work. And then I'd say the third tier to me is just professionals. Like mm -hmm. when you need to bring in, you know, Ed Sutton or Peter Mills or Shrimper, like that's like that top tier, you know? Okay. And frankly, there's things that, and there's a fair amount of work that we need to do, but it takes real dollars to do that work here in Pisgah. And I think it's really important because if we want to preserve these corridors, which are kind of the essence of our trails, which are steep corridors, we want to keep those corridors tight, then bringing in the right people to do that is really helpful. And if someone's interested in becoming a trail crew leader, they can go and find find more information on our website um, or shoot an email to a trail crew coordinator. Any Anyone can volunteer. They can come out to our public dig days, which happen once a month. But in addition, if someone is like, I'm really psyched on doing more more trail work, I would like to be you know certified to go out into the woods and do it on my own time and not wait for a public organized volunteer dig day, They can you can take that path. And then if you're interested in adopting a trail, you can as well. Cool. You've mentioned board members and, and some of those roles. Kind of what does that look like? Because we hear it tossed around a good bit. Yeah, so essentially right now we have 11 uh, volunteer elected board members. Um, we're actually going to be going into the fall cycle uh, pretty soon. We'll be posting some information for call of board members coming out. Generally, the term is usually two to three years. Currently, we have a president, two vice presidents, secretary, treasurer, and then we have either at-large board members 
but we also encourage some of the board members to be the chair of a committee. You know, okay. currently Pisgah Sorba, we have five committees. The trails committee is really all the trail maintenance, construction equipment, which they have by far the largest budget. We have fundraising, uh, events, governance, and then advocacy and communication. Okay. So, yeah, and that's kind of how we break up kind of the governance. But the way it works is, yeah, we normally have two or three, four volunteers, uh, board members that drop off each year at our December meeting, which I think will be, it'll be the uh, the second Monday of December. We'll have an election, like a nomination. Well, it'll be before that, we have a nomination process with mm-hmm. qualifications, and then we'll actually elect and nominate those uh, those folks for the 2023 term in December. It's good to know a little bit more about how the organization functions. Natalie, how has it been working with all these land managers that have been new introductions for you? Yeah, so I mean, we we work mostly with the Forest Service, and yeah. some, the majority of our of our miles are on the public national forest. So it, it's been great. I mean, the the relationship that I have been able to witness in my two months has been really kind kind of like a relief, a, a breath of fresh air to watch the relationship with Pisgah Yasorba and with the Forest Service be so collaborative and so understanding and um, there's trust involved there. And I, I recognize it's been built up over the years, right? Like there's a lot of organizations, a lot of other chapters that I've talked to that don't necessarily have this really efficient working relationship with their land manager. So it's it's been great. I feel like coming into this position, they're it was really set up for success because of all of the hard work to put into the relationships in the past. Do you think it helps in your position that you pretty much have like one main land manager you deal with? You're not dealing with a bunch of different ones. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Richmond Hill is a separate land management. That's the city of Asheville. Um, But yeah, I mean, having, having just those two main land land managers really simplifies things, um, which is great because the position that we're in, we're working on maintaining all of these miles of trails. And so that in itself is such such a big piece. And if if I would imagine that was divvied up with a bunch of different land managers, that would just increase the the necessary communication. So yeah, it definitely makes things um, a little bit more manageable on our side. One thing that I see mentioned a lot, but a lot of people don't really take into account is the maintenance of forest service roads. Now, I, I know that probably dances back and forth a little bit between responsibility levels with Forest Service and volunteer organizations because, like, there's different levels of Forest Service roads. So how does that boil down? You know, I know that um, it's not uncommon if we go behind a gate, right, to go maintain something, like you're going to take a volunteer group in. We normally, even for, like, down trees on a road, we will remove those just so you can go in with a vehicle. But I know that even on the Black Mountain project that the Forest Service before uh, Shrimper and Single Track Trails were able to go up to the to basically the gap to get their equipment in that they actually had to fix some culverts and do some road repairs. Yeah, because there was that one like sinkhole spot like right by Perry Cove Trailhead. That's correct. Now, historically, we really haven't like Pisgah Area Sorba hasn't really gotten into you know specific road parking trailhead signage projects. I mean, we've had enough trail, just trail-oriented projects alone to keep us busy in terms of, you know, time and uh, funding. Mm -hmm. But I think at some point in the future, yeah, I mean, there's serious um, kind of road uh, maintenance that could happen in the forest. And that in order to create accessibility, it's that infrastructure needs to be maintained. So, yeah. 
One thing that I hear mentioned by some people that are new to mountain biking is the difficulty of riding Pisgah. So how do you guys approach lowering the barrier of entry to riding Pisgah stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think as as an organization, our, our goal is to always continue to preserve the Pisgah essence, right? Like mm-hmm. Pisgah is known for the gnarly trails and we want to keep that as much as possible, as much as is environmentally sustainable. Yeah. In regards to the the barrier of entry, yeah, it for sure exists. I think that one of the biggest ways to help alleviate that is to provide more entry level options for folks to get their feet under them before they just go out to ride Pisgah. That could look like places like Richmond Hill. I know it's a bit of a drive. Um, it could look like potential new projects in the future that could help to to have a more ease of, you know, you can feel more comfortable on a bike before you just jump into Pisgah. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is also just education. So making sure that folks, like, know what they're they're getting into, making sure that there's an awareness of, like, what this trail is going to be like, making sure that it is a trail is built or maintained in a way that like it's not that a massive accident isn't going to happen because the trail is designed to give a good user experience um, while still being technical in the way that we love Pisgah to be. Uh, You can still allow the user experience to be technical and gnarly without allowing like some, some really abrupt thing that is going to cause a huge accident. Have you guys spoken to the forest service about, how their current classification of trail difficulties are. Yeah, we t- we touched on that a bit in the trail crew leader class um, that I was recently in. I I really want to sit down with the Forest Service and like talk about it for a couple more hours because it's it's really fascinating and I really I feel strongly that it should be more public knowledge as to how trails are designated and there's there's you know a designation of a trail and then there's um, how it is maintained like mm-hmm. what use level it is maintained to. And there's even so much. On specific trails, there will be a pay paper that determines how big the protrusions can be and like how much maintenance needs to occur. And so there, there's a whole system there with the Forest Service that that is pretty specific. And I don't think that it's it's very much common knowledge as to how that actually works. Yeah. So this is the first time I've heard of like protrusions and stuff like that and how Forest Service like ranks a trail. Mm-hmm. But like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they have Bennett Gap listed as like a blue level trail. I think that one of the problems is is that trail representation is probably a snapshot in time, right? Yeah. I mean, every time we get rain, you know, with additional traffic, those trails continue to get, you know, bonier, rockier, rootier. So I think over time, in our opinion, the cl- trail classification, things become more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Unless there's serious work done. I mean, I the one thing that I'd like to mention about, you know, entry-level riding opportunities I think one of the big opportunities is we have a lot of people that are moving to this area, right? Specific to for public land access, mm-hmm. trails, you know, low impact, lifelong cardiovascular. I think one of the big challenges for us is how can we actually connect these communities to the forest, right? Like what does that look like? Is it greenway advocacy? And then like I feel like we have really good communication with the Forest Service, but when we start to kind of get out of that realm, then all of a sudden it's city and county governments, greenway yeah. projects. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities for urban trail networks, trail system that could create connectivity, right? Where we can actually, where people don't have to drive out to Turkey Pen parking lot or North Mills and actually get people from where they live into the trail systems or to the national uh, forest system. But 
it's a lot of advocacy. It's a lot of communication. It's a lot of coordination. Um, we're Is this part- in reference to like private land ownership opening up to public access? I think it could be it could be power line easements, it could be drainage easements, it could be adjacent to you know floodways. I think there's a potential conduit for that infrastructure to happen, and I think the unique opportunity for single track is with the right builder, it doesn't take much room to make that yeah. connectivity happen. Totally. And if we could try to figure out these kind of roadway interfaces to make them safe and make the connections right, I think there's huge opportunities for not only connectivity, but then like green or blue level trail networks that could be enjoyed by, I think, a larger percentage of the population, which to me, that could be phenomenal. And I think from a land management perspective, then it could really make where we are a differentiator, right, Mm -hmm. Um, for a lot of different pieces. Mm -hmm. And ultimately allowing access to, to folks, increasing access and providing more of a variability of the of the surface or the difficulty trail that you're on is ultimately just going to reduce the strain on our current trail systems. So the strain that, I mean, Bent Creek and Pisgah feel is immense. And everybody knows that, right? And so if you're able to provide an alternate option for folks, ultimately it's going to reduce the strain and it's going to, to ease up on the trail use in general, which also is going to reduce the amount of maintenance that will need to happen because of, of less traffic. I mean, obviously, we're not we're not going to see traffic decrease anytime soon. Oh, it's just going to keep going up, yeah, exponential. But not trying to get too far off subject here, but I think places like Canuga and uh, the new stuff at Chestnut Mountain are definitely helping ease some of those some of those like funneled zones. Totally, yeah. And there's a project up um, in Asheville that we are we're supporting. It's called Asheville Unpaved, and uh, once that that project is able to be fully funded, where we have committed to coming on to help with the construction piece of natural surfaces that can connect different neighborhoods in Asheville and ultimately provide that opportunity for folks to ride where they live um, and reduce that barrier. Because it's not just the barrier when you're going out mountain biking. It's not just a barrier of the trail difficulty. Right. It's a financial barrier of purchasing a bike or renting a bike. It's the barrier of driving to the trailhead. It's the barrier of like feeling safe when you're out there on the trails, whether that's emotionally, whether that's physically, whether that's like the knowledge of the trail system in general. There are so many barriers when it comes to mountain biking. So reducing any of those is ultimately going to increase opportunity for everybody. You hit a lot of good points, man. I'm glad you brought those up. That's great. Let's move on to like kind of teasing some future projects and events. Event-wise, I know you guys have couple of things coming up so natalie yeah what we got yeah i'm, I'm really excited about this um we have a couple of volunteer dig days that are coming up which which you can check out uh either on our newsletter um you can sign up to be on to you'll be added to email list but the the big event that is coming up is the evening of saturday september 24th it's the i9 pa release party so industry nine partnering with um Asheville brewing company to release their their ipa and that's going to be hosted at Rabbit Rabbit in Asheville. It's going to be a super awesome event. There's going to be a raffle the night of. There's going to be a DJ. Um, a silent disco is going to follow it. The portion of all the proceeds are going to go to Pisgaria Sorba. So it's a really amazing benefit for us. And there's also going to be a reveal of a really sick bike and kit, full kit giveaway that we are going to reveal that evening. So Keep keep eyes on our social media and come to that event, and you'll be able to to see the beauty. It's it's uh, 
I'm excited for it. I've heard some whisperings about, about oh, yeah. this this combo kit bike, so it sounds pretty sick. It's going to be sick. And then, uh, let's see, we've had a lot of cool trail progress in the Ranger District, and sounds like there's a little bit more that we can be looking forward to. Craig, you want to tease us a little bit on some of that? Yeah, we... Um... You know, Pisgah Sorba applied for several state RTP recreational trail program grants um, in the past, like, five to seven years. Uh, the Avery Project was an RTP. The Black Mountain uh, rear route was an RTP. And then the final one that we've been awarded is for Butter, Cat Gap area. Um, we've been working on that. The Pisgah Conservancy has helped fund, along with the Transylvania uh, Tourism Development Authority. Um, they've helped fund the environmental documents. So... That NEPA study is happening this summer. Everything seems to be moving along as planned. But yeah, there's a pretty, we have a pretty serious project planned um, out on Buttercat. Um, and I think once we get the NEPA kind of firmed up and completed, then we can kind of start getting a lot more serious about, you know, what is, what are all the distances? What's the trail character? You know, how much rock armoring do we need? And then, of course, selecting a builder. So there's a lot of, uh, it's kind of a lot of background work happening on that, and we'd be happy to share. Like when we have that um, at a point that we can release all the public information, we'd be happy to visit more about that. Right on. So it sounds like ink's starting to hit the paper a little bit. So it is, yep. And that draws up a little bit. Let's let's circle back to that one. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's a it's a sizable project. I mean, it's going to be, you know, I think that Avery was right around ninety thousand dollar build. Black was about one hundred and twenty five. And this build will probably be twice the size of black, so somewhere in that 250, 275 range pretty easily. So, Sounds like a pretty sick project. I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing some more details on that. Uh, anything else you guys feel like we need to touch on? Uh, one thing that I will say that actually came up last night when I was talking with a friend and explaining my job to her, she's not a mountain biker. Um, she was like, so y'all must have, what, like 1,000, 2,000 members? And we really, we don't. We Our membership kind of hovers right around 500, and I think that it's – from my point of view, that's more of an education piece, right? Like folks who are mountain bikers, who are enjoying the trails, being a member and providing that support to your local nonprofit that is helping to maintain those shows so you're able to get out and ride, I think just makes a lot of sense. Um, it's it's Our membership at least starts as low as $39 a year, which if you compare that to the cost of like buying anything for your bike, that's that's pretty low. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's cheaper yeah. than like, it's way cheaper than a tire. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like it, it's cheaper than even shoes or yeah. sometimes socks, depending on what kind of socks you're getting. Like it's, it seems like a no brainer that if you're enjoying the trails, joining in membership or giving um, a different financial donation or coming out to volunteer for dig days or just spreading the word kind of is some of the ways that the folks can support us. Let me ask you this. What is more beneficial? Membership numbers or someone with a Love Trails account giving a dollar a mile? Ooh, that's a great question. Like, does the membership, like, if you guys go to the Forest Service, like, we just hit, like, 700 members, what's up? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a good pat on our back, but it's not necessarily, like, for grant funding, for conversation, for just having, like, the community representation and making sure that, like, mountain bikers' voices are heard, that's the benefit of, of membership. Also, members get pretty amazing discounts like I just yeah. bought my new helmet on expert voice 
And the money that I saved with my discount could have paid for my own membership. So ultimately, like that's a good point. Yeah, it kind of kind of gives you money back if you look at it that way. Not just um, Expert Voice, uh, through other some other companies as well, like Cognitive and Cane Creek now. Cane Creek now, yeah. So. Yeah, there's also um, Emba because we are, you know, associated with Emba. There's a some type of of insurance plan that you can include as well. That's Ooh. a benefit of being a member. So there there are a lot of perks for sure. Financial direct financial donations are one of the one of the best things that we can get as an organization. Um, we love members. We love seeing that membership grow, mainly just because it's a representation of of who is out there on the trails. It's it's a number that we can put to the representation. In terms of financial support, members we only receive forty percent of a membership payment. So Emba like and some other fees. Emba and, and, and Sorba Maine um, yeah. take some fees from that as well. And then we we receive 40%. So when we ask for membership, it's not necessarily so we can get more dollars. It's more so we can we can like make sure that we are supporting the mountain biking community and that like the mountain biking community is represented through our organization. So you said you said about five hundred members currently right now? Yeah. Craig, what would you estimate that the mountain bike community size is in that Asheville <laughs> Man, metro area? Uh, I I don't know. Um, ten thousand? I was gonna say probably ten thousand, pretty easily. Like I'd say, like the biggest one of the messages for from me too is like, I think that there's a lot of phenomenal people here in terms of like the manufacturing component game, right? I think between Fox, I nine, and Cane Creek, there's like those aren't just companies they are really good people and they've always helped us out. I think even, you know, if you're a serious rider and you're a member, like we'd love to have your business as a sponsor, you know? And then I think the big thing for me is just like the friendships that I've developed, like through the trail, the trail crew leaders who have done a lot of work with out in the field, just the people that are giving up time, you know, every day to go out and do this work. Okay. Which is kind of like can be thankless work, but I, my appreciation for what all those people do between the companies, our sponsors, our board members, our trail crew leaders is phenomenal. And uh, yeah, I've just developed really good friendship from those people and really appreciate the opportunity. So, And Natalie, how has your new like view on the mountain bike scene changed since you've kind of started this job? Oh my gosh. Because uh, you went from kind of like just like a recreational mountain biker mm-hmm. with a non-industry job and to now you're thrown to this pretty much an industry job. Yeah. And now you've the door's just been flung open. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's been incredibly insightful. I, I feel like my appreciation for my access to the shows has grown so much. So one of the things I've been reflecting on in the last two months, I've, I've always been an outdoor recreator, right? Like I've trail run in multiple different states. I've rock climbed in multiple different states. I've mountain biked in multiple different states. And especially like in college, I was the president of the Mountaineers Club at Ohio State, which was like a huge club. And I was so naive as to how my access to these public lands was being preserved. Like my environmental stewardship, I'm ashamed to say, was not very strong in college and even in like my early 20s. So now that I'm I'm like in my mid-30s and I'm able to work for an organization that that is focused on environmental sustainability, that is focused on giving back, like it just it feels like it's finally my time to give back to all of the the access to the trails that I have enjoyed throughout my entire life. So I feel like the, that's been the biggest the biggest shift is like entering this industry and just appreciating and like really valuing the time that I can spend outdoors and like the work that goes into preserving those opportunities. Awesome. I love it. Craig, describe your perfect Pisgah day. 
Boy, I'd say probably riding, um, riding with my son, uh, Tristan. He's got one year left of school. He's uh, down here for one more year. And I would say, um, I would say probably like North Mills all the way to Oscar Blues. So we'd hit all the usual suspects. Like starting at Bent Creek out. Yes, mm-hmm. and yeah, that that way you get like everything. You get Spencer. You'd even climb Laurel, do Pilot, and then probably Black, like all the way down to Brevard, and then. Probably just like, yeah, spending time with him or a couple of trail leaders. I kind of feel like my time with him is like somewhat limited. So it's mm-hmm. like more of a priority for me. But yeah, and then, I'd and say then that, mom picks you up at Oscar Blues later. That, so you don't have to drop back that, home. That sounds great. Yeah. That'd be, I think that'd be a great day. Yeah. Natalie, perfect physical day. Um, first of all, I'd have to start at like 7 a.m. I'm an early riser and <laughs> okay. I love like being out there. So early you're clearing morning. the spider webs for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. I'll <laughs> gladly do that. <laughs> Yeah, just being out there like right when the sun is rising with uh, good friends and probably starting in Bent Creek, doing like a loop around there and then climbing up and dropping down into to Mills River and doing like a Spencer Spencer Trace, probably adding on Bear, climbing back up, maybe doing another loop in the trails that I didn't hit in Bent Creek and then going to grab a beer and burger. It's probably okay. my ideal day. Nice. It's cool to hear like two different sides of like a perfect Pisgah day. Yeah. Right on. Uh, anything else you guys feel like we should touch on? I appreciate all you do. Thanks for, for being the word of Pisgah for us. Well, I don't know if we are fully the word of Pisgah, but uh, <laughs> we enjoy sharing what we can. Yeah. Well, cool. Awesome. Well, I look forward to having your voices on this show here again in the future, hopefully sooner rather than later, to talk about some more cool projects. Yeah. yeah. Thanks Thanks so much for having us. And uh, like people should always feel like they can reach out. You know, all the board member emails and contact are out there. So if there's something that you want to talk trails, just please reach out to Natalie or I, and we'll we'll get your, um, if we can't help you out, we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Just hit those DMs. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Natalie, thank you. Craig, thank you. Thank I really you. appreciate all you guys do. Thanks. Man, there is so much to process from that interview, and we could have a bunch of different conversations about it. You know, everyone's got a strong opinion that is typically shared with their friend group about Pisgah trails and their maintenance and how that sausage is made. But to know we actually have people with plans and accountability goes a long way with me. Um, I appreciate what Natalie has to do here, but I don't envy her position because no matter what transpires, people will feel strongly about it on more than one side. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Everybody's got an opinion. But yeah, there's definitely additional rabbit holes we could have went down. We kind of have a time limit, so I just wanted to touch base on things and keep things a little more precise. Uh, Natalie has definitely taken the ball and ran with it, so I'm looking forward to what her and the organization can get done now that she's on board. Uh, Drew, any other takeaways? A main standout to me was something that Craig said about how trail ratings are a snapshot in time. That a blue trail will eventually become a black trail when roots and rocks appear. I'm actually intrigued to go learn a little bit more about how the criteria that makes a trail green, blue, or black, because like many others, I have opinions on what's hard and what isn't. And while I don't always agree with a trail rating, it, it's it got to have been determined by someone. And, uh, you know, I, I, it just never really dawned on me that maybe 10 years ago, this was a blue trail that I'm riding. And I'm like, man, what the hell's going on here? Diving down Bennett Gap? Uh, It's not a blue trail anymore. Mm -hmm, For certain. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, to learn a little bit more about how the Forest Service has different levels of how a trail should be maintained, 
know, Natalie touched base on that a little bit, but I would like to know more about that. So hopefully that's something that can be publicly shared here in the future. Yeah, it's also rad to hear about love trails and Pisgah area Sorba's validation of it. Oh, dude, absolutely. You know, I'd kind of been wanting to know to what level the Trail Care slash Love Trails app had been donating to Pisgah area Sorba. I just see my donations and had hoping that there was a good size more being donated. So yeah, awesome to hear that that is making a good sizable donation. Heck yeah, everybody go sign up at Love Trails, please. Uh, so Mangler, tell me about this week's weather. So dude, not gonna lie, the past couple weeks have been pretty rough wet-wise, but you know what? We pushed through and now looking at this next like 10 days of weather, mostly sunny or sunny every single day. Highs in like the upper 70s, maybe hitting into some low 80s. Lows getting down to like mid to low 50s. I do. This is all time good biking weather right here. Dry and great temperatures. Dude. Well, guys, that is a wrap on this week's episode. And as always, you can find us on social media. Just search Physica Podcast. And of course, we've got our web store going with shirts, water bottles, and koozies. You can check that out at PisgahPodcast.BigCartel.com. Have you ever wondered how the Pisgah area sorba sausage was made? Then go ahead and click subscribe. Share with your friends. Tell your friends to listen to Pisgah t-shirt, water bottle, or koozie. What side of forest do they make the veggie sausage? If I had to guess, it'd be uh, maybe up in Burnsville or something.